Hey, we're so glad you're here today. And I want to lead us in prayer. I know that every week when we come, every one of us brings into this building concerns, burdens, hurts from the week, maybe anger, maybe bitterness. Um, we, we carry baggage with us. And it's good on a Sunday morning sometimes to just unload that baggage. Cast all our cares upon Jesus Christ because He cares for us. So let me lead us in prayer. I am so grateful, Father, that You're present right here and that You're listening. You know the anxieties of our hearts. You know the grief that some of us bear. You know the anguish as we face different situations in our life. You know our joys, you know our sorrows, you know our ups and you know our downs. And I am so thankful that you care so deeply for us, that uh, you even number the hairs of our head. And Father, that kind of detail, that kind of attention to our lives is staggering to contemplate. That the God who created all of this world and all of this universe to the furthest star, that God knows me my name, knows my goings in and my goings out. You know all about me. And you still love me. And you still care for me. So we want this morning to come to you and let you... Take away the anxiety, take away the bitterness, take away the the grieving, take away the sorrow and sadness in our lives, that you'd give to us strength to face the week ahead, that you'd give to us everything we need for life and for godliness, and we say thank you for that. So Father, you speak to our hearts today as we come to you and look at your word together, for it's in your name we pray, amen. Well, we're talking about Jesus Christ, and one of the things that I mentioned last week is that Jesus is a man who's driven by purpose. He came for a specific purpose, and that was to die for you. That was to die for me. In fact, um, John the Baptist in the Gospel of John tells us when he saw Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And to further that, In the book of Revelation, in chapter 13 and verse 8, John the Apostle elaborates on that, and he says, here is the Lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. And so in other words, it was God's plan from the beginning of time that Jesus Christ should come and die on a cruel Roman cross. Now, why? Have you ever asked yourself that? I mean, why did Jesus have to come and die? What was, the, what was the need for that? Why was his death necessary? Let me give you three words why it was necessary. We are sinners. That's why it was necessary. We're sinners. If you look at your outline there, the very first point says this, all of us are sinners. All of us are sinners. This is the first of four critical truths that we're going to look at this morning. Jesus came to die because I'm a sinner. Because you're a sinner. 
And, you know, sin, of course, is basically disobedience to God and His will. It's thumbing our nose at God. It's ignoring God. It's, it's telling God, I don't need you in my life. It's just basically ignoring Him and pushing Him away. And all of us, folks, are sinners. All of us have blown it. All of us have messed up. Paul, in Romans chapter 3, links together several Old Testament passages to really prove the point that Jesus, uh, the, the point that all of us, and I'm talking about everybody who's ever lived or everybody who will ever live, all of us are alienated from God because of our disobedience. Listen to as I read Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 10. Paul said this, as the Scripture says, and he's going to quote a number of places from the Old Testament, as the Scripture says, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are full with, filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursings and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. The bottom line why Jesus came to die is the fact that we are all sinners. Now, so what? I mean, think about it. Why would our sin require death? Why would it require death? Well, that's the second truth that we want to look at, and that is this. Our sins require a penalty. <laughs> that is, our sins deserve punishment. What you and I need to realize is that God is holy, and we are not, okay? And the holy wrath of God opposes that which is unholy. I mean, unholiness cannot stand in the presence of a holy God. And so God is holy and God is just. And, and if you think about it, for God just to wink at sin and casually dismiss it and say, oh, it's not a big deal, uh, would go against His very holy nature. And so to be holy and just, God must punish sin. So as a result, all of us, I mean all of us, stand condemned. All deserve punishment. I mean, go back to the very beginning of creation. And remember what, remember what God said to Adam in, in Genesis chapter 2, beginning at verse 16? He said, But the Lord God warned him, You may eat freely the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you will surely die. So to disobey God, and of course that's what Adam did, to disobey God is to violate God's holiness. And so to remain true to his character, God must punish sin. So the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel tells us, the soul who sins will die. The Apostle Paul tells us, for the wages of sin is death. And so punishment of sin is absolutely necessary. <clears throat> and look at what Paul said there in, in Romans 6.23. He called spiritual death a wage that is earned. In other words, we all earn the penalty for our sin because we all willfully disobey God and ignore God and His will for our lives. So we've earned this, okay? God doesn't just arbitrarily condemn us. We earn it. It's a wage that we earn. Now, the fact of the matter is God never has and never will condemn an innocent person because, folks, there are no innocent people. 
All of us are guilty. All of us are guilty. Now, to deal with this problem of sin and, and its punishment, in the Old Testament, God provided a ritualistic animal sacrifice. If you've read through the Old Testament, you know there's a whole sacrificial system that's been set up there. And the animal, of course, was a substitute for the sinner, uh, for the person who was bringing the sacrifice. <coughs> Somebody had to pay the penalty, right? And so God allowed a substitute for that person bringing the sacrifice. He was the substitute. The animal was the substitute. And sometimes, even in those Old Testament ceremonies, the, the, the person bringing the sacrifice would lay hands on the animal as if transferring sin onto the animal that was being substituted for, for that person's own sins. So the animal was a substitute. But what we learn when we get to the New Testament is that sacrifice, that animal sacrifice, was not enough. When you get to the book of, of Hebrews, and the book of Hebrews is a, it's an essay, if you want to call it that. It, it's a very elongated sermon where the writer is, is, is demonstrating that Jesus Christ as high priest is superior to all the priesthood of, of, the, of the Levites, the, the Aaronic priesthood, that he is so superior to it, and the sacrifice that he brought is so superior to the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament. And so he's talking about Jesus, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> he's talking about Jesus as our high priest. He talks about the heavenly tabernacle where Jesus goes in to offer the sacrifice. Um, really helping us to realize that the earthly tabernacle constructed by Moses, the temple constructed by uh, Solomon and, and so forth, those were just copies of a heavenly temple, a heavenly tabernacle. And so in, in Hebrews chapter 9, beginning at verse the last part of verse 9, the writer of Hebrews says this, for the gifts and the sacrifices that the priests offered, and he's talking about the Old Testament priests, the gifts and the sacrifices that the priests offered are not able to cleanse the consciences of the people who bring them. For that old system deals only with food and drink and various cleansing ceremonies, physical regulations that were in effect only until a better system could be established. And that better system was the coming of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. God had been preparing that from the beginning of time. And so in verse 12, he says this, with his own blood, and he's talking about Jesus Christ here, with his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Under that old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse the people's body from ceremonial impurity. Just think, that's what he's, he's comparing here, okay? Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. Perfect, meaning it was the one that we needed. It was, it was what we needed, that sacrifice. It was perfect. It was exactly what we needed. And so the writer continues that thought down in verse 24 through 28. He says this, For Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself 
to appear now before God on our behalf. And he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again like the high priest here on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of animals. It had been, if that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. But now, and I want you to underline these words, once for all time, once for all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. And just as each person is destined to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ also was, underline these words, offered once for all time. Offered once for all time as, and here's some more words to underline, as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all those who eagerly wait for him. So here's a third truth that I want you to grasp. Our sins were carried away by Jesus Christ. Our sins were carried away by Jesus Christ. Back there in in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 28, (coughs) he talks about the fact that Jesus came to take away the sins of of the people. Those words, take away, that phrase that's used there, that Jesus was the sacrifice to take away the sins, is a word that means to carry away, to physically carry away. And it parallels a Hebrew word out of the Old Testament that speaks of God removing or carrying away our sins. For instance, in Psalm 103, verse 12, it says, He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. That is, God has carried away, He's taken away our sins as far as the east is from the west. And then Isaiah, in speaking about the suffering servant, the Messiah, in Isaiah 53, 11, talks about this, that when he, and he's talking about the Messiah, when he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. He will carry away. He will take them and, 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 and carry them away. Now, here's the Old Testament picture that these these verses are really speaking of. On the Day of Atonement, in the Old Testament system, the high priest would be presented with two goats. One of those goats he would take and he would sacrifice it. And he would take the blood of that goat and he would sprinkle it around the tabernacle and in the Holy of Holies as a cleansing of forgiveness for the sins of the people. But after that was done, then he would take the second goat. The second goat was called the scapegoat. Now, that's where we get our term in our language of a scapegoat. It's somebody that you put the blame on, right? He's a scapegoat. You put the blame on him. Well, in the Old Testament, the scapegoat was this lamb, the second second goat that was alive. And the high priest would put his hands on the head of that goat. And he would confess the wickedness of the people the sin of the people. And then that goat would be led away out into the wilderness and released away from the camp or away from the temple in Jerusalem as a symbol of the fact that God has taken our sins away and released them for us never to have to worry about them again. That's that's the picture there. In fact, let me read the passage from Leviticus 16, beginning of verse 20. He says, When Aaron has finished purifying the most holy place... 
and the tabernacle and the altar, and that's with the blood of the, of the first goat, he must present the live goat, and he will lay both of his hands on the goat's head and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion and sins of the people of Israel. In this way, he will transfer the people's sins to the head of the goat. Then a man specially chosen for this task will drive the goat into the wilderness. As the goat goes into the wilderness, it will carry all the people's sins upon itself into a desolate land. Folks, in the very same way, Jesus took upon himself our sin. He became our scapegoat, carrying away our sin. In fact, Paul writing in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13 says, but Christ has rescued us. Last week we talked about one of the things that he did for us is he rescued us. Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. What was the curse pronounced by the law? The soul that sins, it shall die. He's rescued us from that curse. When he hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scripture, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. So here's a picture that God symbolically laid his hands upon Jesus Christ and put upon Jesus Christ all of the sins of all mankind. And then he poured out his wrath on Jesus. And Jesus carried away our sins on the cross. Peter says that in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He says he personally carried, and, and the Greek construction means he carried it up to the cross. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. In other words, he removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. There's another picture in Scripture of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, why he died for us. Look at point number four there. That's nailing our sins to the cross. Nailing our sins to the cross. <clears throat> Over in Colossians chapter 2, Paul begins by talking about our spiritual condition before Jesus Christ rescued us. He says this in chapter 2, verse 13 and, and following. He says, you were dead because of your sins, and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us. Let, let's stop right there. He's made us alive. We were spiritually dead. Now we've been made spiritually alive. And how did he do that? By forgiving all our sins, by canceling the record of the charges against us. Now, how did he do that? How could God just forgive our sins? How could he cancel the record of the charges against us? Because our sins were nailed to the cross. That is, our sins were placed upon Jesus Christ and Jesus was nailed to the cross. Look what he says in verse 14. He canceled the record of the charges against us and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. He's, <coughs> excuse me, in that last verse, he's really talking about the victory that is ours through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But here's what I want you to take away from here today. Jesus paid the penalty for your sins and for my sins. Our sins are nailed to the cross. They're carried away. They're removed as far as the east is from the west. God says, I have forgiven you and I will remember them no more. Now, here's the problem. God has forgiven 
and he has removed our sins. Now, that doesn't mean, of course, that we're not going to sin from time to time. Even as believers, there's going to be times when, when we, we lapse into sin. I mean, that's, we're going to do that until the day we die or until the day that Jesus Christ returns. But God's forgiveness extends to cover all of our sins, past, present, future. Those sins have been cleansed. They've been, they've been dealt with. The penalty has been paid. Our problem, folks, as believers, is that we have a tendency to hold on to the sins in our life. Uh, you know, we, we grieve over them, we, we feel guilty, we fret over them, we worry about them. And what needs to happen is that you and I need to learn that when we confess our sin to God, He takes care of the sin and we don't have to hold on to it any longer. When we confess, we say, God, you're right. What I have done is wrong. Scripture says God forgives us. Look at 1 John 1, 9 there. It says, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we say, God, I blew it. God says, I know you did, but I forgive you. And then He remembers it no more. But you and I have this tendency. I don't know why, what it is. We, we somehow can't let go of the guilt. Some of you are dealing with guilt from past sins that God forgave long ago, and you can't get over it. And it's eating your lunch. It's eating you alive. You fret about it. You lay awake at night saying, oh, why did I do that? What and you, you hold on to sin, and it just is killing you. Some of you are still living in sin. And you're doing things over and over again repeatedly when you know that God doesn't like that. And you need to come to God and you need to confess and let Him have that sin and let Him carry it away into the wilderness at all. You have got in your bulletin there a small slip of paper. And if you don't have one, raise your hand. Uh, Steve's going to pass some out. If you need, Everybody needs a little piece of paper. And you might need a pen. If you need a pen... Um, Hold your hand up. We've got pens. We've got papers. You're going to need that, okay? Uh, Ty's over here. He's got pens. He's got paper. Everybody needs a slip of paper, okay? Uh, got need one up here at the front. Um, keep your hand up if you need a piece of paper, okay? Or a pen. Here it comes. Coming up the row there, okay? All right. In the middle here, we've got some over here as well. All right. Gentlemen, I'll let you all come up and get the crosses in place. What I want you to do is I want you to just, between you and God, nobody's going to see this piece of paper, okay? Uh, nobody's going to look at it. And you're not going to put your name on it or anything like that. But what I want you to do is I want you to think of a sin that is just plaguing you. Maybe it's something from the past. Maybe it's something in the present that's going on, but it, you just don't seem to want to let go of it, or it's still bothering you. It just keeps cropping back up. Uh, maybe it's bitterness. Maybe every day you just wake up and you're so bitter. Or maybe you're, there's anger there. Maybe there's envy. I, I don't know. Maybe there's you just this sense of guilt over something that's going on. Maybe it's jealousy. Maybe you're struggling with lust in your life or addictions or maybe there's hatred that's there or greed. Maybe it's a sin of overeating or, or some other bad habit that you have. Maybe it's laziness. 
Maybe it's just bad feelings toward other people. It might be that what you need to write down on that piece of paper would be the word self. Maybe self is the problem. That you just got pride. You're just filled with, with selfishness. What I want you to do is write that, that sin down on that piece of paper. I'll give you just a minute to do that. One thing that you know is wrong in your life or has been wrong in your life and it just keeps coming back up. What I'd like for you to do is to now write over that word just the reference, 1 John 1.9. Confess to God. Say, God, I confess this is wrong in my life. And I claim the forgiveness that you have given me through Jesus Christ. Then write 1 John 1.9. And then what I want you to do after you've written it down, after you've confessed it to God, and after you've written 1 John 1.9 over it, I want to give you an opportunity to come and nail that to one of these crosses. Uh, Zach and Jeremy are going to help us here. And uh, they've got hammer, they've got nails. We want you to nail your sin to the cross as a symbolic way of giving it to the Lord so that he can carry it away and remember, and he'll remember it no more. And you don't need to be bugged by it anymore. So come and do that as, as you're ready. Some of your sins were so forgiven that they wouldn't stick to the cross. Isn't that amazing? That's <laughs> what God does for us. Let me close with one more verse or passage out of Galatians 3. Paul is writing here, and, and one of the things that he's really working at in the book of Galatians is to help the Galatian Christians to understand that our salvation is not based on ourselves. It's not based on our works, what we do, but it's based on what God has done. And he's talking about the fact that these Galatian Christians have reverted back to thinking that they can please God by keeping the law. Folks, law is something we try to do for God. Salvation is based on grace, what God has done for us. And so that's what he's talking about here. He says, those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse because the Old Testament says, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all of the commandments that are written in God's book of the law. In other words, if you're going to try to earn favor with God, then you've got to be absolutely perfect. 
You've got to keep every commandment perfectly for all of your life. If that's the way you're going to please God, that's the only way to be in God's grace by our own effort, is to do it all perfectly from birth until death. Anybody can do that? Absolutely not. He says, those who depend on the law to make them, with the, make them right with God are under the curse. For the Scripture says, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commandments that are written in God's book of the law. So it is clear, Paul says, that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law, by doing good works, by trying to, to somehow earn favor with God. He goes on and he says, for the scripture says it is through faith and faith is depending upon what God has done for us. It's leaning on it's It's saying, God, the only reason you're going to let me into heaven is because of what Jesus Christ did for me in his death. That's what I'm depending on. That's what faith is. It's depending that God has died for me and that he has saved me and that what he has done is adequate, is sufficient. It fills the bill. So it's through faith that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of law, which says it's through obeying the law that a person has life. Because they've already seen that there's no way through your own effort that you can ever please God, that you can ever save yourself. It's through faith, depending upon Jesus Christ. If you're not depending on Jesus Christ for your salvation, then you're missing the boat. Today, my prayer is that you would come to understand that it's only through what Jesus Christ did on the cross when he died for you, that he took the penalty of your sins, he carried away your sins, he nailed it to the cross. That's what you depend on for your salvation, for the eternal life, for the victorious life that God wants to give you through Jesus Christ. My prayer is that if you do not know Christ as Savior and Lord, Make that a reality today. Let's bow for prayer. (laughs) Their heads bowed and their eyes closed. If you don't know Christ as Savior, would you just take this occasion to just simply say in your heart, Jesus, I need you as a Savior and the Lord of my life. I want to depend on what you've done for me and not what I'm trying to do. I recognize that I'm a sinner, that I've blown it, that I fall under your condemnation. And I recognize that I need my sins carried away by the cross of Jesus Christ. So come into my life today, Lord Jesus. Make me a brand new person. I'm going to live for you from this day forward as a big thank you to you for what you've done for me. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.